Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 7, Episode 7, The Mentalists. Let's get this show on the road. Before we start this episode, we have a really, really fun announcement to make for this week. For the entire month of November, we are going to be offering a 15% discount on all of our Etsy items. No discount code. Everything is 15% off automatically. So as a recap, that is the Impala pin, the Kansas Light tote, and the Faith print. Uh, We know that holidays are coming up, so if you've been eyeing any of these, now's the time. And this is only for the month of November, so make sure to order before November 30th. This week, we'd like to shout out Griff PME and Rankla DD for their lovely reviews they left on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it, and it helps us so much, and it makes us so happy. What did you think of this episode? I felt very conflicted because it seemed like it was wanted to be a much funnier episode than it actually was. I tend to like the episodes where they kind of, there's almost like a a wink and a nudge to the audience of like, we understand how weird things can be. Let's give you a weird scenario, like a town where literally everyone apparently is just like a fake psychic and that's how they make a living. How that's physically possible, I can't understand, but, like, let's just have this fun premise. I went in very, like, oh, this is going to be a silly episode. Like, yes, we're going to have a monster. Yes, it's going to be killing people. But the joke is going to be them dealing with these people who think they know. Like, there was a moment where, like, the when I think it's, like, the second or third murder, the cops were like, oh, yeah, the lines have been, like, off the hook with people making suggestions of what it might be. I thought the funny thing was going to be them going to interview, like, a bunch of, like, hacks to see if any of them actually did have an ability that might be helpful, and that's how they were going to solve the case. Like the fairies episode type of thing. Exactly. Like, still, like, yes, there's ultimately a villain. Yes, they ultimately saved the day. Although in the fairy episode, I still don't think they saved the day, technically. Everyone kind of didn't make it. They killed the thing, but they did not save the people. I still found some merit in the episode. I really enjoyed our, like, uh, audience surrogate for the week, um, whose name I've already forgotten. Melanie. Melanie, there we go. When I took my notes a few days ago, it was all negative, because I, and, and I think that that's overwhelmingly how I feel about this episode. I did enjoy the monster of the week, but I did not like the way that they, quote-unquote, resolve things between Sam and Dean. And we'll we'll get into the reasons why. But then there's a part of me that's like, but but what if for a second you tried to really not think of it critically, like from a critical time standpoint kind of thing, and really looked at it only as story time. And so I like assume positive intent from the writers, which I find really challenging with Supernatural sometimes, especially when it's writers that we don't really know for for this series anyway. So, so we'll see a little bit because I'm a bit of two minds now because the more that I think about it, the more I'm like, well, maybe, maybe if I play devil's advocate. And then I'm like, I don't think Supernatural needs the devil as its advocate, like it's doing well enough on its own. Very... 
very unsure about where I stand about this episode because it's it's not bad, but it's certainly not good. It tried to be a fun episode and a little bit lighthearted. And like, if we were to somehow like remove this episode to a time period where it was a little more fillery and it was really just about the brothers like having a bonding moment and not poorly resolving this Amy murder arc. I think it could have been a really good episode, but they tried to like use it as an excuse to shoehorn in this very poor excuse for a resolution, in my opinion, at least, that like soured the grape. I want to separate the monster of the week part from the brothers part, because the monster of the week part I thought was actually pretty funny, pretty good. Like it was enjoyable and it was a little creepy and a little, it had like, It felt very much like a first two seasons of Supernatural kind of Monster of the Week, which I really, really liked, you know? Like, it was a good old-fashioned ghost, but it was also binded by somebody. Like, I loved that. I did not enjoy the brothers part of it because... I'll get into that later. How about we start with a recap? I'm ready for it. Why don't you count me down? Three, two, one, Taylor Swift. (laughs) Okay, so we have the brothers... We have Dean showing up in a town to solve these two mysterious murders. And then, of course, why wouldn't Sam be there? Because Sam would also be looking for cases to solve. And this one's kind of getting weird vibes. So they both show up and they decide just to, hey, let's just not talk about any of our problems and be air quote professionals and solve this case in a town full of psychics. So they are literally looking for, as I think one of them puts it, a needle in a fake needle stack eventually learning that the town has a history of actual psychics and there are a few people who actually do have powers and that these fake psychics are being killed off by a spirit and they get the wrong one because they don't take more than 30 seconds to think about things. And then they end up finding out the ghost is not just being, you know, like killing people she thinks are bad psychics. They're being used by an actual psychic who is angry at them. And then despite this very fun, could have been really good adventure, we then have to apparently have them resolve the whole Sam being mad at Dean thing in the worst way possible with no real resolution time. That's about it. Yep. This episode was written by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker. And I swear to God, I am not pranking you. These names are real. And it is their only episode for Supernatural. I know Ben Acker and Ben Blacker as a writing duo because I follow (laughs) one of their long-running podcasts. No way. They are the masterminds behind The Thrilling Adventure Hour, which is an amazing podcast that has had stars, including Nathan Fillion. It is a series of, like, basically old-time radio-like stories. Their most famous one is The Doyles, who are a, like, upper-crust New York, like, always-with-a-martini-glass types who can see ghosts and are constantly dealing with supernatural problems. As soon as I saw this comment, like I, I'm putting my notes in and I see this and I'm like, no bloody way. The friggin' Ben's doing this. And looking back at the episode, I see, I see their humor trying to come through in some of the little moments. The fact that there is this like series wide, like arc being resolved Again, resolved in air quotes here because I don't really feel like it's resolved, but I think they think it's resolved the show. It feels like they were basically like forced to put that in the show for the sake of the overarching story because the bits that are just like psychics doing psychic things like feels a lot better. You know, what's really funny is that I kind of wondered about that because I thought it was interesting to bring in 
people to write an episode, by all, by all accounts, a really important episode, to bring in these folks only for this one episode. And I'm like, either it didn't go well or it didn't go well for them not to come back, right? So either the show thought that they did a bad job or the writers were like, no, you kind of screwed us over with this. We're not doing it again. Whatever it is, you know, I've got my thoughts about that. That's kind of what I was wondering. And what you're telling me is is kind of reinforcing that in a way. There's an air to Supernatural, and this has been through all seven seasons up to this point, where it feels like they have like their overarching story for the season. They know they need to hit certain points by a certain time frame for things to work with the way the storyboard is set up for the whole season. And sometimes that means a writer gets stuck. Hey, you need to fit this into your episode. What I find strange is that this is not an, a regular a regular team in the writer's room. I don't think it should ever fall on a first-time writer. I have the weird exception of knowing these two from a project that is, of course, much more recent than Supernatural. So I know how talented and funny these guys are, especially in the realm of writing comedic spooky stories. It's kind of their, their A-game. I could see their humor coming through it, but being stifled by the fact they needed to get these, like, points across. This should have fallen onto a more seasoned writer to make this story beat happen. It was just a strange decision. I agree. Either way, the episode was directed by Mike Roll, and it originally aired on November 4th, 2011. We see that Sam and Dean are following Frank's advice in this episode, so they're not driving the Impala and they're not using rock aliases. And I believe that they're also not uh, using credit cards. We do see them flash cash a few times here when they're paying for things. Like, just like it's subtle, but it's there. It's funny because I remember we had that conversation and in my mind, it was kind of subtle. Like, oh, that was just for while they were dealing with the, like, the do the doppelganger situation. And now that's over, they can go back to their old ways. So the entire episode, I'm just like, where the fuck is baby? <laughs> Oh, no, no. <laughs> I thought it was like a bigger thing. I thought there was like a bigger like, we're going to find out next week that baby was stolen. And they're on the, like, this is a bigger issue. I was like, what? Like, why is nobody talking about it? <laughs> they're just following Frank Devereaux's advice. That's all. <laughs> Which I will say, honestly, looking back at that first moment in the restaurant or the coffee shop when like someone recognizes them and they have to be like, no, 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 no. We get that a lot. It's not us. Like... At least they acknowledge it in some sort of like small continuity way. And I think this is more of a me not catching on thing. The actor who plays Camille is going to be cast again on the show. She's going to be back in season 13 to play uh, the part of a character that I very infamously forgot about in season one. A character in season 13 you forgot about during season one. It will all make sense when you watch season 13. <laughs> We still get emails about people highlighting that I forgot about this character back in season one. So I am very excited. I need to acknowledge this, that, you know, I forgot about her in season one. She's going to be back in season 13. We have another moment that calls back to an early episode. So when they're in the car and Melanie calls them to say that Margaret is still coming after Camille, Sam grabs the phone from Dean and starts talking. And it really reminded me of Bugs when it's Dean grabbing the phone from Sam. And it's funny because like Jared and Jensen are acting it out like so similarly. So like, I just find it interesting that there's another little callback to previous seasons. 
We also get a call back to Ellen, who contacts the psychic and tells Dean to tell people how bad it is, which he does not. That was, again, one of those really nice little moments in the episode that really, like... I don't want to say we didn't need it. I think it was really well-deserved. It was a fun moment, but, like, it was just extra flavor in the right way. Exactly. I think that this is the kind of stuff that, when you pepper it in, makes makes the audience feels, feel loved. Because it's like, oh, we re- you remember them too, right? Like, it's like, oh, you remember Ellen. You remember that we love Ellen. And so you're giving us, you're sprinkling a little bit of that for us. I, that was really a lovely moment that I really appreciated. If I'm not completely mistaken, it's the first instance in the episode of someone having psychic abilities. It's one little moment where we're being reminded that like this entire town isn't full of phonies. Psychics do exist. Yes, the villain at the end of the episode is also one. But like we still have people who live amongst us every day that have powers. And like here is irrefutable evidence. This isn't just someone like... You know, like, making a judgment call based on your posture and your, like, attitude. We also have another moment of Dean doing the caring and Sam doing the fighting. So Dean is, like, defending Melanie from Margaret's ghost while Sam is fighting Jimmy. Seeing the two of them in these, like, reverse, these, like, opposite roles a little bit. And we have the quote-unquote resolution of the whole Amy arc, uh, which I will be talking about a lot more in Critical Time. Our theme this week is siblings, and this has never happened before on the podcast, but this word was no longer used for a really long time, and it had a revival in the early 1900s, and it's now like a really common word that people use all the time. Like, sibling was not used for a very long time, like it died off, and then it was used again in a book somewhere, and then boom, it started getting used again. So in the modern sense, like the word as we know it now means like brother or sister. And it's also used as a genderless term for people with the same parents. Uh, siblings comes from the root word sib, which is Old English. And uh, it's, it's not really used by itself anymore. Like it used to be, but not anymore. And it used to mean like kinship, relationship, love, friendship, peace, happiness. So Now, I guess in this episode, like, we don't have much peace, but maybe we can think of the ways that, like, Dean and Sam work on their sibling relationship in this episode. They tried to make a parent and may have succeeded in some spots. I think that there was definitely success in some spots, but again, like, the resolution of it, to me, is my my big issue, and that taints everything else. And that is so, so, so supernatural to me. Where like sometimes they get one thing so wrong that it, it just, it taints everything else. And this is really one of those situations, which is unfortunate because there's a lot of good in this episode. If we start with Dean, I would like to start anyway by reiterating that, again, from a writing standpoint, I think that Dean killing Amy was a mistake. Not only doing it was a mistake, but the way that the situation is being resolved is also a problem for me. And like I said, I'm going to address that in critical time. But I wanted to make it clear from the get-go because I find this episode really hard to talk about because like, I really want to engage with the narrative and why I disagree with what's going on or like what I'm taking from it. 
And on the other, like, why am I wasting energy when it was like such a fuckery to begin with anyway? And like, it's, it's a bad place to be with a TV show when it annoys you so much that you become like indifferent to it and you don't want to talk about it. This resolution for the Amy murder for this week's climax is incredibly lackluster and kind of pitiful. Dean does not deserve the out he's getting and Sam is way too forgiving and I'm entirely chalking this up to like remorse like in a critical sense that like they've realized they wrote themselves into a corner and there was no way to get out of it so they had to sort of just like throw it away as quick as they could and hope the audience would just like walk away. First of all, I completely agree with you. If I'm trying to be more generous and to be more of the devil's advocate here, I would say that maybe this is one of those instances where Dean says stuff and we can't trust him because we're told that that Ellen says, like, tell somebody how badly you're feeling. And what he ends up doing in the following scene is telling Sam that he was right in doing what he did. I think that, like, there's definitely contradictions within the episode. And I think that I honestly, the more I think about it, I think that the writing team did the best that they could to make that show, but that they were told, like, this this is where we want to be at this point. Like, what I like, like, something that I did appreciate in this episode, though, was, like, the way that they're comparing the Fox sisters to the Winchester brothers. Because we've got Kate, the younger sibling, who's, like, more charismatic, gets along with people more easily. And then we've got Margaret, who's the older sibling, who takes care of Kate. And that sounds pretty familiar to us after six seasons and a bit of the Winchesters, right? Like, (laughs) we know that formula. And I think that, like, what I actually really liked about it was how Jimmy talked about Margaret. At the end, you know, Margaret and me were the same, were the real thing. But guess what? Sometimes the real thing isn't pretty or entertaining enough. When I show people what I'm capable of, it scares them. I can't pay my rent. So keep in mind, like Jimmy says this line, like as the camera goes from him to Dean, who's trying to protect uh, Madeline, Melanie, oh my God, from the ghost of Margaret. And I think that if we're... If we're applying this line to Dean, then we've got something really interesting to dig into. Like, think about when I show people what I'm capable of, it scares them, as applied to Dean, like within the context of the last few episodes. Good work here in showing us that Dean feels one way, like Jimmy, but we can see here clearly that his actions, while scary in the moment to the person he's protecting... Ultimately, they see the forest for the trees and understand who and what Dean is. And yes, we had some odd examples that don't end as favorably for him. But in the end, he has the abilities and when used right and for good, he he is ultimately seen as a savior and favored by those who encounter him. This moment feels like it's really for our benefit as the audience. You know, like Dean, as you said, has spent the last several weeks not liking himself for what he is and how he acts, but here we see him as the hero he most usually is and are given a chance to see him through the eyes of those individuals he saves and the very vision of himself that he is refusing to let himself see and be. This is Dean, like, at his best after we've seen him at his worst for a few weeks. And and I think that's that's kind of it, right? Like, I sort of wish that the show had leaned into, like, a bit more of that because, like, 
in a way, what we'd been seeing in the past few episodes is Dean's monstrosity coming through. Like we've talked about this a little bit before, right? The fact that like the things that he's capable of scare others. Like what he did was pretty scary. It was disturbing. People were distraught about what they'd seen on screen. I know I was. And I know that the show is going to eventually explore that. So at least there's that. But, you know, I, I do wish that they had leaned into this a little bit more this season because otherwise it kind of falls flat for me anyway. That This is an exciting prospect for me because I feel like I want more of those moments where Dean is the hero, but not seen for it. Because right now, I'll be honest, I tried to think of an example of a time where he's seen as like just a killer but almost every hunt ends with either no one around to witness him or someone, and usually it's a single woman in some small town, being saved and showing affection to him, if not Sam. And if we just got a few more people, like, freaked out by the whole supernatural thing and just, like, running away and not even, like, saying thank you to them, and by extension seeing what Dean can do and then being scared of this world and Dean, it, this whole thing might be hitting harder. But I think that that's the thing. Like, if they had leaned into that line of, like, when people, when I show people what I'm capable of, it scares them. Because I truly think that that hits something really important within Dean's character, right? Like, when he shows Sam or Bobby what he's capable of, they're, they're, they're scared also, and they're hunters. I do think that the only way to explain, on Dean's end anyway, what's going on, is that this really is one of those times where he's saying something, but actually feeling something else like and and this happened in bugs also interestingly i can't believe that bugs is being brought up like <laughs> twice now twice now yeah seriously i feel maybe that's the only episode they watched they were like oh this is dean there you go like let's <laughs> let's write him this way but like even just like to go very like deep story mode on this for a second it is the fact that even after getting a message from beyond that he clearly believes because why would this guy know Ellen or lie to him he still chooses to go at Sam in this like sense of I need to fix us not I need to fix me and hope you can forgive me for my flaws like he isn't going like yes ultimately he's going I did what I did because I felt it was right in my gut and I'm a hunter and I know what I'm doing but does he believe that do you think he believes that I feel like it's that argument of like head, heart, gut. It's like, yes, my gut told me to do this, but my, looking at it now, my head and my heart say, you're a shit. Yeah. Poor Sam is just sort of like crammed in this moment of like, okay, fine. I'll hate you silently and it'll eventually go away because reasons. I feel like I don't even have that much to say about Sam this episode because like, I don't feel like his character gets anything like he sort of gets the short end of the stick really here because like the fact that he tells dean that he was right to kill amy i think is really a disservice to his character and i can't find a way to explain that in character i and i <laughs> i just can't i can't it's it legitimately easier to explain Dean's killing of Amy than Sam's weird acceptance of the killing of Amy. I can totally explain <laughs> Dean's killing of Amy. I don't like it, but I can explain it, right? Like, because in a way, I get it. Like, I get why he did it. But this, this I don't get. This is just, this is, this is just frustration, pure frustration for me. To focus on Sam, I mean, yeah, kind of second secondary character vibes this week. 
we barely even get to see him show any feelings towards Dean until Dean says, now is the time to talk about feelings because I said so. Which, on further inspection, does say something about Sam, that he is ultimately putting this job before himself. And we've seen this before, albeit more extreme with the demon blood chugging. But it's not unlike Sam to shut up and be a good little brother for the sake of saving people. In the past, when Sam was angry, he would explode, he would get mad, he would scream, he would shout, the same way that John did. But here, he's just silent, like he's not talking. And it sort of feels like, oh my god, Sam now has a different way of managing his anger that is no longer as externalized, let's say, or like as destructive as it used to be. It's kind of like a a longer arc this season in that Sam seems to be learning to deal with his emotions and his, like, everything better. Like, we saw his view of guilt during uh, the um, Osiris episode, and he seems to have a better understanding of his place in the universe and, like, living with himself. And I think that's reflected here in his ability to better handle his emotions by not exploding in anger, but, like reasoning through things when we talked about redirected or misdirected aggression like we talked about how dean was definitely a victim of that but sam was not and so and so i agree with you that like sam is learning a lot about about how to handle how he's feeling in a way that isn't going to hurt the people around him i really hope that is a genuine like strength and like learning and growth opportunity and not we're going to find out he's been bottling it up and it's all going to come raging out at the end of the season in some sort of like super crazy devil attack because Lucifer brain. I will also say that one thing I really enjoyed is Sam and Dean acting like siblings in this episode. Like we see that like, you know, Sam taking the phone from Dean, we also see like when they're separate, but they're both working towards the same thing and in sync also. I'm thinking also about the moment where Dean is making dirty jokes and Sam is grossed out and embarrassed. Like that is genuinely one of my my favorite kinds of like Dean and Sam interactions. Like it's just so relatable. Yeah, like if you remove, like I said at the very top, if you just remove the like weirdness of the unresolved tension, They seem to be working really well together and in this very fun, brotherly way that I love. There's banter, there's sarcasm, there's, like, that, like, look between them of, like, agreeing this whole thing's kind of bullshit, like, the psychics. And it speaks to, like, their true selves that even if they differ and are so, like, boldly opposed to something right now, that at the most base level of themselves, they're kids who grew up together And have inside jokes and their own little sheltered, unique life experiences. And they have this like very in common inner child that when they get to just be themselves with each other is so pure. And that is the episode I wanted from Ben and Ben. (laughs) It's so unfortunate because there are these really beautiful nuggets that kind of that really do show that there was a knowledge of the characters. But it's the resolution that I really dislike. And I think that that is more a show running issue than it is a writing issue. That's my personal interpretation of it. 
before we close out Sam, I think we also need to talk about Sam killing Jimmy because it sort of feels like the show is kind of using that as a way to have him like understand that Dean killing Amy was necessary. But I just do not see these two things as being the same in any way, shape or form. Just no big nope. Someone who killed out of necessity to save their child versus an angry psychic who wanted vengeance and money. And like, sure, they throw in almost like out of like necessity, this line about like, I can't afford rent. Like, yeah, that sucks. I'm sorry for you. Does not excuse you going on a ghost fueled psychic murder rampage. Like, I understand like it felt like they were trying to make him sympathetic for a split second and just really, really didn't do it well little bit of class solidarity my dude you know like let's let's if we're gonna murder because we can't afford rent like let's let's aim a bit higher than like the psychics in lilydale you know like eat the rich not the fake psychics the phone ringing woke me up my brother was freaking out on the other line i grabbed the bug out bag and nearly flung myself down the stairs and out the front door from starting the car until I hit the lawn, my foot did not leave the gas pedal. Leaving my car half on the sidewalk and half in his garden, I ran straight for the front door and kicked it down. I could still hear the growling of whatever I heard in the background of his car. Whatever was there with him was not distracted by my rather loud entrance. Looking around as I made my way from room to room made it clear that this thing had taken a similar, albeit much more violent, tour of the house. As I approach the stairs to the basement, I can now hear the screams and growls more clearly. I rush down knowing the only door was at the bottom, and as long as he was holding that between them, I might have a chance. As I turned, I saw the door ripped from its hinges laying in the middle of the now open basement. I saw the creature covered in what was clearly the blood of my brother. I pulled the silver knife from its sheath and pounced onto the creature before it had a chance to rise from its kill, and I plunged that blade straight into its heart. I did what any self-respecting hunter would do. I collected what remained of my poor brother and made sure his remains were properly taken care of. I must have been in some kind of shock because I just got back into the car and drove home, where I immediately grabbed a bottle of whatever was in reach and just sat in the living room. I then caught the family photos on the mantelpiece from back when this place belonged to our parents. I felt that first choking sensation right before you begin to sob uncontrollably, but it subsided as I stood up to grab one of the framed photos. Then I grabbed another, looking through each of them, at the happy family we once were. Mom, Dad, me. Just me. I am an only child. Who or what did that thing kill and what did it do to me? If I'm being entirely honest, if we could, I would skip talking about this episode altogether. I've said this multiple times so far in the bit of time that we've been talking about this. I just think that the resolution of the Amy murder 
to be objectively so incredibly bad. Like I, I, I've always thought that even from the first time I watched it, but it just feels like such inconsistent characterization of Sam and Dean. Like I think, and one thing that I, I, I kept thinking about when I was watching this episode to take notes was like Chris and Jeremy from Monster of the Week talking about this whole narrative arc on their podcast as manufactured drama. And I honestly just could not agree more. It feels like the show needed the brothers to be at odds, like they needed some angst, right? And like they decided to do that. But the thing is, the episodes that followed actually explored what it meant for Dean, and it turns out that it was a pretty big deal. And then we find that we find out also that it's such a big deal for Sam that he walked out on Dean on a dock, right? Like we talked about that also. And now they're supposed to be okay just because Amy was a monster? Like, we, was this information that we did not have in the episode where this happened? It really feels like the show is taking the audience for idiots, and I don't like it. Because we know that Dean felt bad about this. We know that he felt bad about what he did. That was the topic of an entire freaking episode. And we know that Sam and Dean don't just kill monsters willy-nilly. We've had a whole, like arcs and other episodes about this as well and so to kind of like hand wave that it is making me feel as an audience member like well if the show doesn't care about its own lore then why should I and I think that that's really why I dislike season seven so freaking much it's not the camp it's this kind of stuff I find it really cowardly like if you're going to make Dean go bad or make or have him make at least like one bad or one wrong decision, then lean into it, right? Own up to it. They've done this before with Dean being mad at Sam. So we know that it's feasible and we know that we root for them to repair the relationship anyway. But here it sort of feels like they were like, let's just manufacture some brother drama. And then they realized after the fact what they'd done and they were like, oh my God, not that much drama, And so they just wrote this episode to kind of like back away from it slowly, like own up to it, own up to what you've done, you know, Um, don't make us feel like idiots for sticking with the show, because at this point in the season, that's always how I feel for still watching like an idiot. I think you really hit the nail on the head with this. I'm going to say rant, but. (laughs) But No, no, I think you're absolutely right, though. Have you ever watched something where they like make fun of the Hollywood exec where they come into the studio and go like, oh, we need more women with big boobs and we need more action. And like, they just want to put the things in the show because those are the things that make the money and make the show go. Like, I don't know who to put, I'm not going to put the blame on one writer or one showrunner or like an executive who just thinks they know shit. But like, this really feels like that like cartoonish way of being like, I need you to do this thing for the show because it makes monies. Okay, but Drew, I was literally watching a show the other day, and I can't remember which one it is, where they were saying that it was somebody who was auditioning to be on a show or something. Like, I can't remember exactly the context, but what they were saying is like, oh yeah, it's a show that has actual writers and not just an executive high on cocaine screaming things to write into a microphone. I've definitely seen that scene. I can't think of what it is now, though. What have I been watching? It's only murders in the building! Thank you. What made me laugh is that, like, this is Steve Martin, who would have known, like, the height of that era, who says this line, right? And so I'm like, 
this is this really makes me think of some of the decisions on Supernatural. This week, we have a message from A. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail to respond to anything we discussed today. You can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Mary and I will be answering the question, have you ever seen a psychic, palm reader, or other mystic for our Roadhouse supporters on our Impala talk? Save the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. Hi, lovely humans. I hope this note doesn't go on too long. I recently started listening to your podcast after watching the finale and finding myself suddenly thrust into a grieving process. I've only finished your season two and listened to the Denver episode, which I really appreciate you covering. For context, I had watched Supernatural from a little before season eight, halfway through season 13. Then life happened and I fell off, but I always intended to finish it. After the finale, I was extremely thankful I did not have to deal with it in real time. When I decided to finally finish it a few months ago, I had a lot of people ask me why I would do that since I knew the awful way it ended. The discussion about legacy in the Denver episode reminded me of my reasoning. Even though I started watching Supernatural late in the game, it quickly became a comfort show. I would love catching it when it was on TNT, especially when it was an iconic string of episodes and if I needed something to cheer me up. The reason I watched it after it ended is because I wasn't willing to let the show earn a fondness it didn't deserve. I'm black, so I already know I didn't have a place in the show or fandom, and I never expected to, but if the show was going to end with such a blatant declaration of hate, I would incorporate that into my memories of it along with all of the good ones. It didn't earn the right for the finale to be buried under the rug. All this to say... I think there is one upside to the horrible finale. The amount of gaslighting that would happen to Destiel fans and queer fans was abhorrent. Any complaint of homophobia was met with, you're only mad about your ship, when there was outright homophobia happening at cons and other spaces. The finale finally brought those issues to light. The show will never be able to salt and burn away the specter of homophobia, and I think as a queer fan, I find some peace in that, along with the way the finale is a narrative failure. It wasn't the finale queer fans deserve, but it was the finale any creator, exec, and actor who contributed to over a decade of queer baiting and homophobia in the show in real life deserved. Thank you again for all the work you put into your podcast. Stay wayward. A. A, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and feelings with us today. Like, I feel like there's like a three-phase step here. There is the fan like Mary who was there when the ending happened. There is the fan like yourself who chose to go back for the ending after understanding what it did. And then myself who I understands how upsetting it was, but doesn't have enough of the context to know exactly why or how. So I feel like we've really hit this nice little like perfect trifecta of like views on this. So as someone who's getting there, this in a way gives me hope. I feel like hope's the wrong word, but you have given me a way to look at this inevitable end of this show that I've kind of always been like, I'm riding this roller coaster. This show is an uphill journey. Yes, it has its dips and rises and some are better than others, but I'm enjoying the ride only to know the ending is going to be a letdown. But to then reframe it as the ending, sure, might be a letdown, but it's a part of the whole, I think really is an important way to look at this. So 
genuinely a thank you from a fan who is so late to the show and will be very late to the finale. And I, I hope I can look back at the show as a whole, including the ending the way you have and see it for what it is properly. Yeah. Thank you so much. A like I, there's a couple of things that I want to address in your message. The first being like the Denver episode, which for some reason, like I tend to forget that we did that one. Um, and yet it was so important to me at the time. I think in part because, because nothing has really changed and yet everything has changed since then. I, I know that I've curated my Twitter timeline very, very carefully in order to limit the amount of homophobia that I, I subject myself to. Um, and so I don't really hear like you're mad about your ship anymore. I, I see it every once in a while when people post screenshots, but I, I don't actually see it like out in the wild that way, the way that I did uh, back then. Uh, but the one thing that I will say is that we don't really hear people from the show openly gaslighting fans anymore, which has been a really welcome change of pace and should have been the standard from the get-go. Um, so at least there's that, and I'm quite happy about that. The, the second thing that I want to touch on is that you mentioned that you're, you're black and that you feel like you don't have a, a space on the show or that you don't have a space on the show or in the fandom. Frankly, as, as, as a podcast with three white people, uh, I definitely, I, I feel that. I have seen it. You can tell that there are very few fans of color in this fandom and I think that there are questions to ask about the actual text, the actual show, but also about the fandom and the way that Black and Indigenous people talk about the show that is unwelcome by the fandom. And I think that we as fans have some reflecting to do when it comes to that um, in order not to recreate the issues of the show within the fandom. All right, so Drew, is there a, a reflection that you've had watching this episode or a call to action? This episode was just a really nice reminder that everyone seeks peace in their own way. And I think here the very evident example is people going to see a psychic and just needing that connection, needing that send off, that, that finality, that closure is the word I'm looking for. Thank you. And I just think it's good to remind myself to this in a world with so many different people and views and understandings of the world it's just important to every day remember that everyone deals with things in their own way and everyone's got their own shit to deal with so no no specific call to action other than just to remind myself that everyone deals with shit their own way thank you for sharing that thank you and what would you like to share with us at the end of this episode well, I mean, I've talked about my relationship with my sister before, like particularly like particularly how this is a relationship that I've worked on with her as well. Uh, I also have two brothers, but we didn't grow up together. And so our relationships are both a bit more distant and a bit more simple. I grew up with my sister and while we were growing up, we were incredibly close. Um, and then there was a time where we didn't speak. And now we have a really close relationship again. 
Um, but it really didn't just happen. Like we really had to work on it and actively choose to be there for one another. And sometimes even to say to ourselves, like, I value this relationship more than I value being right about this one argument that we're having. And this episode really reminds me that blood doesn't make family. Just because you're related doesn't mean that you're magically going to be close. Uh, like to do that, you really have to invest in the relationship with your time, but also with parts of yourself, like through trust, through forgiveness, through humility. I'm definitely feeling called to, to continue that with my sister and, and also with my brothers. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Marie Vigoureux and myself, Drew Schulman. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, L, Jeremiah Thomas, and Simone. This week, we'd like to thank A for their message. You can go to carryingwayward.com for the links to our merch store and all of our socials. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron or a Coffee subscriber. You can also leave us a rating on Spotify and a review on Apple Podcasts. Carry on our wayward friends. See, it's funny. We, we we always said Hoku was the number one, but we're kind of debating that now. In the last <laughs> like, year, like they have really decided to make a competition out of this. <laughs> I love my babies. I of love course, my babies, of but they course. are dumb babies. But they're meant to be dumb. They don't, you know, they they don't have to live out in the wild anymore. You're taking care of them. <laughs> I just, I, I like I, I I've said it before. I believe in reincarnation. The ultimate, the ultimate goal: come back as a cat. Come back as one of your cats, right? Because, like, not a cat. You never know. You never know. <laughs>